Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Playful Podcast, your guide into the underground scene where we discover topics on kink and electronic music every week. Don't forget to subscribe to not miss out on our next episode. We are excited to be here today with masochist and sadomasochist Cherry Velour. In this episode we talk about everything pain, pleasure, masochism, sado needles and suspensions so if you're a little bit sensitive i recommend you to not listen any further although it will be very giving if you're even just a tiny bit curious let's get to it i am amanda and this is playful podcast many people will view a sadomasochistic relationship and see the sadist as an abuser and the masochist as someone who doesn't like themselves allowing themselves to be hurt which is so far from the truth in the case of a healthy sadomasochistic dynamic. Yeah, masochism isn't necessarily about deriving pleasure from pain because a lot of people have that misconception about um, that, you know, you get a hit and it feels pleasurable, like, you know, a massage or something like that, which it, it can sometimes feel like a massage with certain kinds of play. But masochism is more about enjoying the experience of pain for a variety of reasons. Maybe the experience of pain is something that puts you back into your body in a more present way, or the endorphins of it allow you to uh, connect with your emotions or your body um, in in a way that you struggle with in other places, or maybe you just really enjoy the intimacy of sadomasochistic play with another person. And sadomasochism is kind of just an umbrella of sadism and masochism. So masochism is just referring to uh, the enjoyment of pain and pain practices, and sadomasochism includes sadism within that. So if you're a sadomasochist, you like sadistic, masochistic play. But I don't think that it necessarily means that you are a sadist as well. It's kind of about the combination of them rather than just masochism. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's like a lot of information. Yeah. I, I, can, really I can re-say it yeah, in a no, way that's... I, I yeah. mean, it's super interesting. We're going to yeah. dwell in this so much more. So I think everyone is going to be able to get yeah. get a hold on it. But you are then a masochist and not a sadomasochist. No, I think I am a sadomasochist. Mm. But it started with pure masochism. I only discovered my sadistic side... Um, I only discovered my sadistic side more recently in the past couple years. I started doing BDSM way long ago. I, I've always been interested in kink. Uh, and even when I was a kid, I was slapping my wrist with rubber bands because I enjoyed the sensation of the pain. But masochism has always been there. When I first joined a BDSM club when I was 18, all I was doing was getting the shit kicked out of me. Like every time, just playing, doing really hardcore impact sessions, needles, everything. How old were you then? I was 18 when I started. But I mean, well, when I officially started, I was actually doing masochistic play before that as well. Okay, let's yeah. go back in okay. time. Okay, uh, let's is, do it. Yeah. <laughs> we want the whole time journey or okay. time frame. So you were a kid and you discovered that you felt some pleasure. Well, okay, so where I think it 
starts because I didn't realize the masochistic behaviors until much later or like when I thought back to when I was a kid doing masochistic behaviors until much later. But where it all started was when I was a kid, I didn't have that many friends in school and I was just on the internet constantly. So my first comfort and fascination was with porn that I found online. And there was also a show on late night HBO called Real Sex that had like really cool fetish stuff and things that I would watch late at night when nobody was around. And when I say young, I mean like seven or eight. Like, How did you find that? I was just, my parents were let's say a bit neglectful <laughs> so they weren't really paying attention to what I was doing and I just had a computer and a tv and people wouldn't be around at night so yeah I was just looking at porn constantly online and not for a pleasurable thing I was too young to even have the hormones to be turned on by what I was seeing I just found it incredibly fascinating and I think that that might also be why I approach sex and kink from such an academic headspace uh now like it's not this thing that I discovered around puberty where there's all this shame it was something that was like watching the discovery channel as a kid and I remember being on like seehersquirt.com when I was eight or something like wow that's cool (laughs) but what did you think then did you educate get educated through that or did you ask someone about the topics as well or like I guess in the early days I was educated through porn which is not necessarily ideal uh and then talking to strangers on the internet for better or worse and I don't think I was really in my community until I was 18 when I was in Seattle and I joined the community there I did some kink play with partners when I was a teenager probably the the closest that I got was for a few years I was dating a furry actually who furry yeah and then oh, the yeah with the costume well yeah so they wear fursuits but not always they can also just have a fursona that's like a drawn character online I just uh, learned that they are like so expensive oh the fur the fursuits oh yeah oh my god they're crazy so that must be a rich person well <laughs> <laughs> well, he actually started to make his own fursuit, but he was a um, he handy was an, person. yeah a handy person, uh, a, a creative person, and he was also an artist. And they make tons of money from furry porn. I actually made furry porn for money when I was a teenager. What? <laughs> so it's another I, part of my origin story. Oh my god! You so you were also in the costume? No, I wasn't in the costume. I was just drawing stuff. So there's a website. Now we're already going off topic with furries, yeah, but but um, there's a website called Fur Affinity, which is is kind of like the Facebook and DeviantArt and hub of furries online. And yeah, you could just commission art and drawings of your persona and a lot of porn. And people will spend a lot of money on drawn porn of their persona or things like that. But through that community, they're also very, very kinky. And so I was exposed to a lot of kinks quite young. Uh, so seeing things like even egg laying, like uh, with ovipositors and stuff like that, because that's a big thing in the furry community. Okay, explain what it is. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Um, egg laying, that's, I mean, it's literally like laying eggs. It's, um, yeah, it's a fantasy kind of a kink, like tentacle porn or, yeah, impregnation. And there's a lot of these fantasy kinks within the furry community. Um and so, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I heard that they are very sexual. Yeah, yeah, it's a very sexual community. Mm. And, I mean, not necessarily. It's not inherently sexual. But I think it's a community where people can really express themselves totally freely and imagine themselves with a fantasy body to begin with, whatever genitals they want, with what no rules. So you could be a giant or super tiny. You can also do, like, inflation kinks, Vor, of course, is a big one. That's like being eaten and eating other people. Um, what yeah. do you mean uh, when saying eating? Eating. Like, usually when it comes to vor, it's not cannibalism kind of eating. It's more being swallowed whole. It's like a fantasy of being like swallowed completely whole and being in someone's belly. Or on the other side of it, you can see vor porn where it's images of... Like, like real people, pictures of girls on <laughs> like a tray with an apple in their mouth. Like they're, uh, you know, like all basted up as a turkey kind of a thing. 
uh, this is just, a whole yeah, it's a whole other level. thing. I, know, I love nothing it. to do with masochism, but but it's so interesting. But I was exposed to all of that when I was really young, and so I was like, wow, you could really do anything. Um, so the egg laying and an ovipositor is a sex toy that puts eggs inside of you. Quite simply, uh. ovipositor. Egg oh yeah, depositing. Oh wow, there are so much things to discover. Many things to Google later. Yeah. <laughs> exciting and uh, so you've always felt like free in your sexuality because there were people you were aware of people doing all these creative things within well interestingly my own sexuality was kind of a mystery to me Uh, I was really fascinated by what other people were doing and seeing what other people did and the possibilities but I never really turned that interest inward to myself so I didn't really discover my own kinks like I said until I was 18 and I joined the community because before that a lot of my personality is uh, (laughs) people pleasing and self a lot of self-sacrificing when I was younger growing up with like a difficult narcissist in the family and things like that so I never really thought about myself I was always thinking about pleasing externally to like placate the people around me Uh, And so all the kinks that I did as a teenager were more for my partner and less for me. So there wasn't a lot of self-discovery. But then when I joined the kink community in Seattle, it was a whole different story. Yeah, because you are American. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And now you are in Europe. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. How was that to discover? Oh, it was amazing. And I didn't realize how lucky I was really and what I had in Seattle until I left. Seattle and the West Coast in America in general, Seattle, San Francisco, has one of the most incredible kink communities in the world. They are true nerds. It's not sexy or fashionable like it is in Berlin. (laughs) People aren't dressed well. Um, often, sometimes they are, but they're not really dressed very well. The music isn't very good. The parties aren't about like partying or and drugs and you know the dancing and dark rooms. It's a dorky club with a bunch of people who seriously know their shit about kink, talking, engaging, strictly no drugs or alcohol, completely sober, and really diving into the nitty gritty of the kinks. And often not sexual as well. Just not sexual. Mm-hmm. So what what is it about? Well, kink in general isn't inherently sexual. It can be, and they go together quite well. But kink is another kind of intimacy that can be explored in a lot of different ways. I think Ava O, when she was on the podcast, talked a little bit, like she didn't really talk so much, maybe she did, but I know she was mentioning having non-sexual relationships in her own kink play. And for many people, kink is about an intimacy with another person without sex. It's also really common in the asexual community to do shibari, sadomasochism, whatever, anything like that, because it builds a really strong bond with another person. So, yeah, a lot of kink will be non-sexual or um, only be certain types of things. A lot of the parties that we had in Seattle were no sex allowed parties even and only play allowed and i think that that can also alleviate some of the pressure that comes with sex so that was a big draw for me actually because sex is a bit difficult for me i weirdly i'm yeah very comfortable with kink but not so comfortable with sex do you think that's because of the young up like the that you were so young when you discovered it or Yeah, I think it's a combination of being so young when I discovered it, so it came without a sexual, like, sexual feelings within me, and a lot of my early sexual experiences not being very good and Mm. not being very pleasurable for me. So they didn't, it didn't really do anything for me. Okay, so my relationship with sex is a bit difficult. Um, I, yeah, I grew up with my discovery of kink and sex being very academic and not very horny. And uh, a lot of the first, well, actually, a lot of the early sexual experiences that I had that did turn me on were with strangers on the Internet that I didn't know. So it wasn't things in person. It was 
having phone sex with random people from Gaia Online, which was like some stupid video game that I played. I played a lot of games. I'm a big, big video game nerd. Uh, and yeah, so, and doing cybering and all of this. So my sexuality is very cerebral and, and not very physical. So the physical act of sex is difficult. And then when I did start having physical sex, I mean, my very first sexual experience was non-consensual. And which is, you oh, know, I mean, yeah. it's, it's also very common, very common and yeah. especially for femmes and uh, well, for many people. So my relationship with physical sex didn't always feel so safe in my body. So kink was a place where you have this safe environment that you create with uh, negotiation, the play itself and aftercare, you know exactly what's going to happen you know exactly what's expected of you and the other person. You know that you're taken care of and what you're going to do. And you can say, I don't want it to have anything to do with my genitals. And you're completely safe and justified in that. You have this wonderful format to explore yourself and get into these really intense, intimate headspaces without sex being involved. So that was why it was so important to me in the, well, always, but very much in the beginning when I was young and I was like, this is the first time I'm having physical, intense experiences with other people that are intimate and I can be totally present and feel totally safe. Wow, you felt so safe there? Yeah, completely safe. Because you're you're with these people who know exactly what they're doing. They have all of this experience. They don't expect anything from you other than exactly what you've said. There's nothing, no weird unspoken codes that often come with sex. And and you're just exploring your body in a way that your body can't recognize as trauma either. Because a lot of sex, even when you begin to heal, like physical penetrative sex, even when you are safe, can feel, your body can be taken back to a place of trauma. Yeah. But when you're exploring pain processing or masochism in a kink setting there's nothing there that can well maybe there is but there's it's something it's a different kind of physical experience so your body doesn't have that immediate association with that trauma from before so you're able to play in that space without your body going right back to that space if that makes sense it does in the beginning and then then you can explore other th- like i really love consensual non-consent play now like now that i've combined sex into my kink that's like rape kinks and things like that so you have been able to like uh how do you say like go through your traumas and yes. uh, deal with them yeah and through masochism yeah through masochism through kink and what i really learned about kink was what made those non-consensual experiences so scary what makes harassment so scary and so traumatic and damaging is the lack of care and consent not the physical act so you can have an act in kink that is so violent you can have people literally punching you or you know literally beating you and cutting you open and all of this with masochism and be completely safe and have a very tender, intimate experience. Something so violent can be that safe and tender, but a glance on the street from someone that you don't want to look at you with that intention that you don't like can feel like true violence. And I think that was a really important distinction to learn from early on in in the kink uh, community. I think that... Uh, a lot of times when people look at masochism, it's incredibly misunderstood. Uh, there's a, also, I actually have this really funny but very interesting book that we found at a friend's place. This old kind of second wave feminist book called Against Sadomasochism, written by feminists, like written by women about how sadomasochism is very damaging for women and bad for feminism. And it really interesting and kind of wild perspectives in there as well. That, uh, but but interesting to see where people get these ideas from. Thinking that we're succumbing to um, the subjugation that people want from us when we engage in sadomasochistic play, where in reality it is so empowering to say, "I decide what happens to my body. I get to push my body to whatever limits I want." with the people that I decide are safe 
And in this space that I've designed and created and made safe for me and for the other person, where everybody involved has a responsibility for themselves and, and each other, and where there's also systems and structures in place for us to take care of each other, not just immediately after, but long after the play is done. Mm-hmm. And to understand that violence isn't in the act, it's in the intention and in the consent and the care. Yeah. So if we like go back to the day when you entered your first I remember it very well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let us know. You mean the like the first party or yeah, yeah. when you were like feeling the <laughs> feeling pleasure from being in this kind of in this group and feeling safe and just exploring it. Absolutely. So my first party at the Center for Sex Positive Culture in Seattle, which was is still uh, the the kink club there, like probably one of the bigger ones. And it also had a library and it was just an amazing place. And I went to In Irons. I didn't I didn't know what the difference between the different parties were yet. And In Irons happened to be the hardcore S&M party. So it was my very first one and I was 18 and I was like bright eyed and I go to this party and it's really not the one they recommend for newcomers (laughs) because there's people literally in chains screaming and like really intense hardcore S&M scenes Uh, and I was like this is amazing because I'm also I'm also hyper hyper empathic but I from like overactive some one of my roommates recently said this overactive mirroring neurons because of uh yeah I know which sounds better to me because hyper empathic kind of sounds like I'm being generous with myself when really it's like a coping mechanism for for having to deal with like very unstable people when you're young so I really absorb the energy of an environment and how people are feeling in an environment so when I was in a space like that watching all of these people have these really intense scenes I was just so saturated with all of their emotions and like watching people in these hardcore scenes, but really like feeling their bliss and feeling the deep connection between them and their play partners. And I was really observing all the nonverbal communication as well, because that's what like a successful kink scene is all about is understanding the communication beyond the surface of what you're seeing because kink is not what you see on the surface. It's this tool for the underlying psychological interaction that's going on. And masochism is a tool for that intimate connection. And it's just, I mean, anyway, I'm getting off track. It was incredible to watch. I was just so blown away by what I was seeing. And I started to get to talking to people and different really experienced sadists and kinksters and it started with just people showing off their floggers and their impact toys and being like do you want to know what this feels like and me being like can I try it I want to see how it feels maybe we'll try a little impact scene impact being an umbrella term for all kinds of hitting like in kink so it could be with a flogger it could be with a fist with a paddle a cane whatever Um, yeah I just went all over the place there but (laughs) wow and today I have seen you uh, or like um, videos of you sitting all like in with in your own blood on a bus (laughs) and just like, you know, I know people are I wonder what people are going to say. But to me, this is like I feel so at ease and happy. Mm. Yeah, that sense. Uh, So it's really interesting. What kind of like misconceptions do people have about this? Oh, my God. A lot of people view it as self-harm, for one, uh, because they see somebody willingly hurting themselves and they just make the immediate connection that they can. A lot of people see it as well as, um, yeah, a form of self... I guess, like I said before, a self-subjugation or something like that. Or a lot of people also view sadists as manipulators people trying to I think that's a, another big thing to talk about because I can talk about the masochistic side but sadists are also a really big part of it and really misunderstood so people view sadists as these manipulative people who are just trying to hurt women or hurt people not just women it's just the common view but hurt 
the masochists or hurt other people and get pleasure out of harming somebody else. Mm. So many people will view a sadomasochistic relationship and see the sadist as an abuser and the masochist as someone who doesn't like themselves, allowing themselves to be hurt, which is so far from the truth in the case of a healthy sadomasochistic dynamic. Yeah, so How that's is a big one. What is the truth? Like, could you describe the relation a little yeah, bit more in depth? Definitely, especially if we're talking about just a pure sadomasochistic dynamic, and like, I won't even get into dominance and submission dynamics, but just sadomasochism. You're just two people who are equals and have an enormous amount of respect for one another. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And an enormous trust in one another to experience these uh hey homie. <laughs> to experience these these intense physical and mental spaces with each other so honestly it's actually as simple as that <laughs> yeah. yeah it's it's you have trust and care and a compatible interest in giving f so for the in the case of the sadists it's often about giving somebody else this intense experience in this headspace enjoying the feeling of having total control over how a person is feeling physically and mentally and providing that experience for them mm. and as a masochist you are handing somebody else the power to put you in a certain space but the whole time both of you are in control of the situation and in fact the masochist or the bottom often has The masochist at the bottom often has even more control because they decide how far it goes. They have the power to stop it at any moment. You have already d established safe words and you've established a structure for this to happen safely. Mm. That being said, it's, you know, the, the responsibility is on both to ensure that nothing goes too far or that you take care of each other. So it's it's a lot about communication. Yes. Yeah. It's a lot about communication. And uh, like you, for instance, uh, are putting heavy before masochism. Yes. Like you're a heavy masochist. Yeah. Uh, what does it take to put heavy before? <laughs> I, you know, I don't like to think about it as levels in a way i think it's something that someone just has to feel themselves and identify mm -hmm. i don't think you know it's not like you graduate to heavy masochist once you've done a certain amount of play or something like that it's just kind of a descriptor that i like to engage in what we might call in the scene edge play often which is just stuff that's a bit more on the uh, maybe how would i describe more on the edge of um, just what, what appears to be a lot more intense and a lot more hardcore mm -hmm. and something that you wouldn't necessarily want people to try their first time trying kink because they require a bit more technical skill and understanding and can be dangerous in a very physical way if not done well or done properly rather. So all kink is dangerous psychologically and physically and emotionally if you don't know what you're doing and you don't do it with care. I just think there's, you know, certain things that 
quite practically in a technical way you should not do <laughs> if you have no idea what you're doing, like putting needles in somebody's face or, you know, doing hook suspension or... I was just going to ask yeah. about <laughs> what it could be. Yeah. yeah. Because that's also something I've seen to mm-hmm. explain the hook expansions. Mm. Ex- suspension. Suspension, sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, so can you take us through how that session looks? Yeah, and hook suspension is actually not commonly done in kink, weirdly. It's kind of its own space, closer to the body mod community. And I find it odd, because I think that they should really intermingle a bit more. I'm trying to make that happen. Um, But hook suspension is, yeah, it's much closer to intense pain practices, almost closer to meditation, in a way. but the way I do it, it's just a big fun game. <laughs> so a hook suspension can look many different ways. And in fact, I think every individual goes through the process of it very differently within themselves. Most commonly, you will have a group of people who are facilitators for it, who know how to do it in a space indoors or outdoors. And you decide where you want to get hooks. I don't know if you're asking very practically, but yeah, 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 very practically, you decide where you want to get hooks. And where where could it be? Does it need so to be where the skin is thick? It's actually or the skin is in, is incredible. What our body is capable of. This is another element of masochism. Just also to explain it for the people who don't know. Yeah, you insert hooks in yes. f- under the skin. Yeah, and you hang yes. in the skin. So the full body weight being carried from some hooks in the skin and they're often they don't have to be that many hooks (laughs) in fact it's most commonly two hooks the most common suspension is two hooks in the back uh two point upper back suspension Um, shoulders so it's in it's in the back kind of around where your shoulder blades are in your back and two hooks there and then you are lifted up from that Mm. yeah and it used to be called the suicide but i think they're trying to move away from that name (laughs) so uh, two-point upper back suspension so that's the most common one does it feel like it's the skin is gonna break uh it depends on where you do it i think it can feel that way but it's not especially in the back like the skin can tear sometimes it's pretty uncommon especially the back the back is incredibly durable so it's it's very rare that people will tear from the two-point upper back. And in fact, people often do cut-downs with the back where uh, you'll be up at a certain height with the hooks in and then you cut the rope and you fall onto the hooks and you're completely fine. You can do that multiple times. And actually, I have a friend who is doing that with, I mean, like, real proper hooks and the hook bent before her back tore. So the metal, like, steel hooks have less uh were were less able to carry the weight of the constant like falling than the skin of her back was there's so many fears that Mm -hmm. you are like approached to like fear of heights is one also there's so many things that you're facing when you do hook suspension which is why i think it's so powerful and beautiful because yeah it's facing the fact that your body is actually capable of this also recognizing what kind of fear like uh, and, and what you will survive from because when you really think about it even if your back does tear or if your skin does tear wherever it is your body heals like it's incredible what your I body is capable say, of because doing for the people who are just listening uh Jerry's face is like there's not a scar <laughs> that I can see yeah but although I have seen photos of you with needles from the top of the forehead to the chin. Yes. And with thick ones. Yeah. Like I actually used have used suspension needles in the face, which are like four millimeter one six gauge needles in the face. Yeah. Yeah. And if you look really closely and from certain angles, sometimes you can see it. But I my acne scars are worse <laughs> than my than my needle scars. So yeah, I mean you do get scars. Um you can see them um showing on video, but like I Hook suspension will give you little dots and things on your body, but I really like them. <laughs> I think that they're really cute. Part of you. Yeah, mm. yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I actually don't like the back, though, funny enough. I've you tried like it. hanging in the back. 
I've Weird tried it a number of times. Knees is my favorite. Knees, and then you yeah. upside down. Yeah, hanging upside down from <gasps> the knees, and I have, and you can tell that from the amount of scars that I have around the knees. <laughs> yeah, but it, to yeah. be to be frank, I don't think that looks bad as bad as it looks when seeing you hang like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> True, fair <laughs> enough. And I also, I mean, ah, oh God, and I scream as well. I, I'm a big screamer, so I it sounds bad too. But the funny thing that I love about both hook suspension and also needle play in general is it releases so many endorphins that most of the time people are like smiling and laughing, especially me. But I mean, I'll be, I will get into a really bad hook suspension where somebody is, is like tugging on one of my legs with like a hook in the leg and things like that. And I will scream bloody murder and it will sound like I'm being murdered. And then there'll be a moment of silence. And then I'm just laughing. <laughs> and it's oh. just, it's total joy and bliss. And it just feels incredible. And it fills you with such an enormous respect for what the body is capable of. And over time with these pain practices, you develop such a huge trust in your body and what you're capable of and an understanding as well. So now I really understand pain in my body to a point where I know what kind of pain is okay pain and what is things that I can deal with and work through and what kind of pain I need to pay attention to and that I need to be aware of and is more dangerous. Mm. I've developed a really good communication with my body. And that's yeah. what pain is, is your body communicating with you. Mm. It's not inherently bad. That's one of the other really big misconceptions about it. Yeah, and bloody murder isn't a safe word for you then, obviously. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, uh, no isn't a safe word. Stop isn't a safe word. Fuck you isn't a safe That's actually a, a big kind of a joke in the kink community is fuck you isn't a safe word. Uh, uh, your safe word is the safe word, and that's that. Um, what is yeah. yours? Well, so I use the traffic light system, which is a really common one, where red means stop and check in, and yellow means you don't have to stop the play, but whatever you're doing right now, I need a break from. Mm -hmm. So if I'm like getting multiple hits in the same spot, which is another thing in the scene is same damn spot, is like just a general term for hitting the same spot over and over again, and it gets more and more excruciating. So if I say yellow, then I just need a break from that spot and I want to move on <laughs> to somewhere else. But I actually like to use mercy instead of yellow because I think that mercy is just a bit sexier. Yeah, so, yeah. it is. Yeah, for sure. And do you ever say green? No, I think... That's pretty unsexy. It's, well, it's <laughs> also kind of like you, you it, by the nature of the play continuing, but there are cases where that could make sense. So... For example, if you're completely new to kink and you're doing a tasting session. So a tasting session is what it sounds like where you're just trying something out. It's also one of my favorite things to demo for people is to like give an impact play tasting session. And you've never tried any sadomasochism before and you're trying out this session. You might want to use green as well so that the person who's topping, like the person giving you the impact session knows oh okay like you're still with me if you're like oh okay this is really nice you can continue then you might give a couple greens here and there so that they know where you're at also good because if it's the first time you're doing these things you might not be as comfortable with using the safe words or you know it's a bit yeah so it's it's nice for the top to know that you're aware of where you're at that you feel good and you want them to continue mm. and that you will also use your safe word when the time comes i think that's the really important element of that yeah and now that we're on topic what are some things <laughs> finally <laughs> <laughs> what what are some things to uh, or like to think about before you dwell into these games or plays think about before i i mean i would really consider what it is that you are wanting to explore and what and most importantly who you're exploring it with and what environment you're exploring it in because it's I think it's it's pretty important that you do it most importantly with somebody that you trust I think depending on what you're doing it's okay even if they're not the most experienced top 
and I'm shocked by that. <laughs> well, depending on what you're doing, right? Actually, when seeing the videos, I was like, they need to be like in healthcare. They need to like, I guess, sue you sometimes. Oh, you mean with needle play, or, or like suspension? Or well, yeah, needles and suspension. In that case, yes. That's I, I was talking more so about like an impact play. Oh right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good, okay. Good. Let's, let's take it in, in levels. Okay. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you're doing like impact play, but if you're asking specifically about needles, then I can go to that. Mm, um, we can do it. Take it all. Okay. So if you're curious about impact play and pain play in general, I think as long as somebody knows where not to hit you and that you trust them completely, then and that you can trust them to say how you feel and communicate about it afterwards. Most important is that you feel safe with the person emotionally. And physically impact play, like I said, as long as you know where not to hit, and most likely a new sadist is not going to go totally nuts on you, most likely, and you should tell them, don't go totally nuts on me if you don't know what you're doing. But playing with a spanking session, you can explore with that. Um, but if you're talking about needles, I would say, yeah, the person should definitely know what they're doing. That being said, needles is not as complicated as a lot of people think. And if you want to explore that, I would find somebody who is experienced and do like a demo session and have them just teach you the basics of it. Because if you learn the basics of needle play, from somebody who knows what they're doing, it's not something that's inaccessible to everybody. It's, it is an accessible kink. And I don't want to, I really want to not make it feel like kink on these, what looks like higher levels is inaccessible. Mm. And also needle play isn't, I mean, needle play is really not, needle play is way less painful if you, when you're just doing like piercing play than people think it is. I have I've showed many people needles and they're always surprised by this. They they think because it's a needle that it's going to be this like really t- intense experience, but it's just fun and it releases so many endorphins and it doesn't really hurt. And that being said, again, if you're going to do it, if you're going to do it, <laughs> find somebody who knows what they're doing to teach you how. But it's such an incredible like the headspace that you get into and the endorphins that you get is nuts. And uh, yeah, because there's something I'm thinking about mm-hmm. because in it there's like also acupressor, acupuncture. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking like, is it somehow interfering with the, like, do you know, how much do you need to know to do it about that kind of stuff? Uh, about that kind of, I mean, this Maybe is a different you thing. Like start, suddenly you can't move your left thing, like ring finger. Oh that. no, I think that when you're doing piercing play with needles, for the most part, you're not getting anywhere around, like you're not going directly in, mm. into things where uh, you're just dealing with the surface level of your skin. And in the same way that with hook suspension, I mean, the skin is very thick and very capable of, um, you know, there's there's a lot of layers there that aren't nerves and aren't things that are suddenly going to like turn off a finger or turn off something like that. So acupuncture, acupressure are all really, really different experiences. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but there's there's absolutely things to know and there's certain places you have to be more careful with than others. But there's also a lot of areas on the body that with simple needle play, which most commonly with needle play, like if you think about acupuncture, you imagine a needle sticking straight out of you. Whereas with needle play, it's more like putting a button and pin in like a jacket oh. where you have it horizontal from to the like a parallel to the skin and you go in and then out again. Sewing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Just like so exactly like sewing. So you're not going very deep. You're not sticking straight down. You're just staying on the layer of the skin, like within the epidermis, yeah, <laughs> so to speak. Right. Uh, so it's quite simple. How has your experience as a masochist evolved after after knowing uh, after learning or after experiencing being a top or a sadist well i think the question actually can be flipped around and my i would say that my experience as a sadist has 
more so been impacted by my experience as a masochist because I've always been a masochist and that's come to me really naturally. It's a headspace I drop into with complete ease. But sadism was a lot more difficult for me to get into and that's something that I only understood and got into after many years of masochism. But after being a masochist for so long, all of those experiences that I had with such a diverse array of really wonderful, experienced tops and doms and sadists, and also some bad ones, taught me what it takes to be a good sadist and a good top. And that I took with me when I first started doing sadism and also with doming because I do pro-doming as well. Uh, and yeah, and I, I realized that all of those experiences feed into my dominance and into my sadism with total ease. And those things that you learn when you're a masochist or as a bottom are really, really little things that I think would be difficult to learn without having experienced it yourself. So, for example, I care less about how good a top is at using a flogger and more about how good they are at connecting with me between the hits. So one of the things that really stuck with me was during an impact scene when I was in Seattle, the top that I was playing with and I was facing away from him had to like reach over to get a different tool or a cup of water or something like that. And when he moved away from me, instead of just like walking away from me, he put one foot on top of mine, not in like a dominance kind of a way, but just very gently, and he wasn't wearing shoes, so it wasn't like a hard boot, just gently placed his foot on top of mine and reached over and grabbed it. And that let me know of his presence and that he was still there. He was still aware of me. And I was like, okay, I'm not being left alone. I'm here and I'm safe. And he's thinking of me in my headspace. And those little moments is like, it makes it so much better because it just allows you to relax completely and feel completely safe so that you can go and push those boundaries as far as you want to because you know this person is taking care of you. Is that a good answer? Wow. <laughs> Got a little tingly in my back. Oh, Because good. I, I, I don't know. I, I think that was... Such a beautiful way of describing the s the the way to communicate, like mm. the small measurements you yeah. you can use in communication, yeah. and by like how important it is to let like the person you're involved with know that that the person is seen, that the yes, person is being heard. seen, being seen is everything to me. I mean. Yeah, and I, I, again, maybe this is part of why this kind of play means so much to me is a lot of my traumas, both sexually, emotionally, with my family, whatever, is about being invisible, like being neglected, not being seen, not being heard. And so BDSM becomes so healing for me because it's entirely about being seen, seeing the other person, And, you know, you seeing them, but them seeing you in such thorough and intimate ways. And it's just, it's such a healing experience being seen in all moments. Even when the person is kicking the shit out of you. But they see you, they're aware of you, they're paying attention to your little movements, checking in with you. It's, it's you, you know, you feel so valued in those moments. Mm. And that's like the the um, two extremes mm. of the scene which like the, the one extreme is that you're being hit mm -hmm. you're being hurt and the other one is that you're being valued you're being seen oh, absolutely and i think that's a really good way of putting it um and it, it's something very funny about it is uh, more so than any other community space that i'm in bdsm communities and especially hardcore nerdy like real hard shit bdsm is some of the most loving spaces i've ever been in because in order to go to those lengths to go to those boundaries the only way that you can do that is with a super strong foundation of care and of trust like a really powerful foundation of care and trust 
So you, yeah, I mean, everything it has balance, you know, as above, so below, whatever you want to say. In order for something to 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 work at that level and not fall apart, you have to have an equal amount of care and trust. Otherwise, it all goes to shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, now we have come to the extra material. All right. Now we have come to the part of the podcast where if you're a Patreon, you'll get to listen to the extra material where we speak to Sherry Velour about her top insider tips in the scene, how to find your kinky sides and where to look for them, as well as many great recommendations on podcast shows and platforms. Go to patreon.com slash playful magazine. This was it for Playful Podcast this week, but please follow, subscribe, and listen to our next episode. And if you want to have a say about future artists, or even ask your own question to one of our guests, follow us on Instagram and make sure to add your question when we lift our coming guests. Thank you so much for joining and see you next week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.